0: You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 517, Peace, Love and Rage at Woodstock 99, Why the Stones Love Each Other and the Pistols Hate Each Other, and Reclaiming Amy Winehouse 10 Years On. That's all coming up after the B-52s and Love Shack.
1: Despite their name, there's something cheery and charming about the B-52s still working and touring. uh, This was a single from 1989, number three on Billboard, number two in the UK, the B-52s and Love Shack.
2: I mean, I adore that record and I cannot tell you how many heated debates I've had with people that I've been been DJing with as pairs in the past. Because I think that is a wonderful tune Mm. and it is very much loved by sort of crowds or crowds of women that are out for a good time. My favourite sort of audience is so Hendoos, um I played mm-hmm. it to a party, a, a Christmas party of estate agents once who very much enjoyed it. And and yeah, my people that I DJ with always go, oh, Rock Lobster by the BBC is a much better song. Yeah, it is a much better song, but this is what people want. I've never yes. known Love Shack not, not lift the spirits of room. And mm-hmm. I think it probably suffered from being very overplayed. I will accept mm-hmm. that. I think it was everywhere for ages and I can understand why you know if you feel like you have to, if you're being made to listen to something then the charm does kind of slightly fall out of it I know but uh, no I think that's uh, it always cheers me up to hear that it always puts me in a happier place than I was before I heard it.
1: Welcome to episode 517 of the Parish Council I'm Terence Dackham, and don't worry everyone I've applied for conservatorship it's Juliet Harris
2: <laughs> Absolutely I, I have to say my, co- my court-appointed lawyer Lionel Hutz Is not really doing The business for me I must admit I continue to send my, my best to Britney beers. I mean for goodness sake What can you even say About that whole debacle oh. I mean I always I, But then I've always seen you As a Phil Spector-esque figure Controlling my strings Terrence So I'm not that surprised Hello everyone
1: Now spoiler alert This week we watched What <laughs> I consider to be The most depressing content Of a movie related to music that I've ever mm. seen, and I watch Vinyl, that terrible HBO series created oh, by wow. Mick Jagger.
2: I that, mean, that that's almost, there's a sort of a parallel there, if it's worse than Vinyl, it's like sorry. the ultimate in, insult in my mind, apologies if anyone is listening that's involved, but the ultimate insult in my mind for a Radio 4 programme, as me and my friend used to, when we were criticising something. we used to go, for goodness sake, it was even worse than you and yours. So <laughs> I feel that this is the equivalent if it's worse than Vinyl in the musical context, yes. then, or, or rather if it's more depressing than vinyl it's pretty bleak
1: yes Woodstock 99 was even more catastrophic than that Um, to give a bit of background Michael Lang one of the co-founders of the original Woodstock in 1969 hired a huge retired air force site in Rome New York essentially it was an unsheltered area with miles Mm. of concrete around and there was a, a 12 foot plywood and steel fence patrolled by 500 New York State police troopers hired for the event. The fact that a section of this wall was broken through, not for people to get in, but to enable them to get out, might mm. uh, give us a clue to the s- situation and the conditions. Jules, after watching this new movie on HBO, aren't you glad you weren't at Woodstock 99?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: I very much am, I must say. I th- I thought this, this film was uh, one of the best... Well, actually, just one of the best films I've seen in ages and mm. certainly one of the best music documentaries. And I think the key to that was the talking heads they got. Yes, they got they got a few of the artists involved in and Jonathan Davis from Corn, I thought, was pretty good value. And they, they got some people in to talk about it. But it was largely led by very articulate, very sort of knowing music journalists. And I thought mm. that, that their their sort of analysis of the whole state of the nation of America and how how this went so badly, badly wrong, and actually it was pretty predictable when you looked at all the different social factors at play. I was really impressed by this film. Yes, it was depressing as you say, but I thought that I found it really. In- I would watch this again. I found it really, really interesting. I thought Maureen Callahan from Spin and um, and Wesley Morris were, were both particularly good on this. I was I found them really impressive. So I would I would recommend that people watch it if you can bear it, if you see what I mean. Interestingly, to to, to slightly interject on your. Introduction to that there had been an event called woodstock ninety four mm, which, so, yes. which had been a great which had been apparently had been a great success, but it mm. was on a much smaller scale the 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 bottom of the, of this story is greed of the organizers i thought the organizers came out of this so badly everything they said seemed to be completely tone deaf as to what actually happened and the story that was being told they didn't want to seem to accept responsibility for anything at all um there so the, the, the it goes sort of chronologically the story so it, it talks to us from from thursday to sunday and it is, you know, it's obvious you can kind of feel it happening in real time. Um the the thing seems to start to erupt on the Friday night, whereas someone put it's either the Friday or the Saturday, someone put it, they have a they have a kind of a a, a sequence of just the world's angriest bands, one after mm. another. A lot of blame is put on Fred Durst of Limp Biscuit. That's who the organizers tried to try to scapegoat having said that as someone said they they very clearly aimed that festival at angry young white men that was who the demographic was being served there's a there's a bit there's a particularly dreadful bit where one of the organizers they questioned him on the fact there are only three women on the bill throughout and the Mm. three women are alanis morissette jewel and cheryl crow i think and that's that's oh and i think the dolores is part of the cranberries but in terms of of individual acts Mm. and they they try to claim that it's not it, that there wasn't. Someone said it felt like there was a, a quota of women at Woodstock. <laughs> they try to claim that isn't the case, but then when you look at the lineup, they're all on on separate days. So there's like yes. a woman on Friday, a woman on Saturday. And one of the organizers who I thought was particularly dreadful says says he had, he had this habit of being so disingenuous in terms of <laughs> saying, I'm not saying this, and then saying what he is saying. So him mm. saying, you know, it's, it's not that, you know, we didn't think about men and women and booking. It wasn't like that. And then goes on to Literally say, you know, we just booked who we thought was charismatic. To which you feel like saying, why do you feel that there aren't more charismatic women? It's 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 a little bit like, you know, oh, we would book loads of comedians. I'm not saying that women aren't funny, but but audiences don't respond to them. You know, it's it's this completely disingenuous description. Um, interestingly. It's, it's, it was like I could say so many things because I thought the film made so many great points but what it was essentially saying and Maureen Callahan was good on this was that the Woodstock generation from 69 seemed to think that this was something that the generation below should be enjoying and it was very much this <laughs> idea of this kind of top down society and sort of trickle down the idea that you know the, the younger generation will have what the older generation was because that's what the older generation wanted they seemed to completely not read what people wanted in terms of the things they were looking for and, and, and there was a telling bit where the best musical performance I think in the, in the whole documentary is Alanis Morissette doing Ironic not a song mm. that I'm hugely fond of but she is an excellent performance and then she's followed by the four angry bands so so somebody limp biscuit rage against the machine and metallica and it feels like there was this sort of battle between the peace and love ideals of the original Woodstock, and then where where the the society of america found itself in that place and i thought that the singer jewel oh no she was on i think i think it was jewel jewel alanis morissette and mm. and um and uh, uh the other one i, I thought they were I thought it was really telling that Jules said something that I thought, she was very articulate and summed up the issue, which was there was a good there was a good narrative about grunge and how grunge was quite enlightened and that kind of finished with the death of Kurt Cobain and then it evolved into this kind of angry rap metal, and 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 the the documentary begins with the sort of the idea of the American dream and the fact that the decade has been a decade of almost constant growth in the nineties, yet with very low in fact sort of inflation, so it's like the dream conditions, and and Jewel makes the point maybe the problem was is that our generation didn't really have anything to be angry about or anything to protest about because it was a time of it was literally you've never had it so good and so and yet, there is this anger amongst the the, the the young white men in it. That I mean, I, I I thought it had so many things to say about about what was going on and how all these 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 sort of the factors interacted. But the key quote, so that so the problems begin fairly early on, where the, it's so badly organised, the sanitation breaks down almost instantly. It's insanely hot, so people are people are sort of losing their minds from the very start. Water is charged at the same price as beer, and the the organisers sort of say, you know, they, they kind of, with all these craven excuses, even now they can't look back on it with any reflection at all and one of them turns to the camera and says well let's face it, this was not a poor man's festival and it's like, if that is the quote that absolutely sums up where where this is uh, where, where this is gone, it, it, it was it was, I thought, just as you say, extremely depressing but also extremely interesting in that mm. rather than just, where well, the film was so good, but rather than just showing everything on fire, and the, the distress production it's really good I think in in describing the conditions in which that happened I thought I thought it was Mm. it was really really good yeah like you say not the happiest of watches but I thought it was incredibly well done and I have to say for all that occasionally they did they make things that are irritating like vinyl it was a really (laughs) high quality production by HBO I thought it was really good.
1: My my first point is one I often make in in that this movie was too long um, yes, think, maybe it was. Maybe and, it was.
2: I, did, I didn't feel it so much, actually. I felt that that, that it needed to be that length early on to contextualise what happened at the end. I thought it made a bit more sense for it to be long, although I know you don't like things that are long.
1: I don't like. You know. I, I felt an hour would have made the same impact. My attention wandered as the same people said the same things over. That's mm-hmm. not to deny or denigrate what they did mm-hmm. say. I mean, to the events themselves, the director, Garrett Price, um, Describes Woodstock 99 uh, within the movie as uh, it played out like a horror film.
0: Mm.
1: And Stephen Hyden, uh journalist, said it was a mass psychosis. Um, the coverage also included references back to the original Woodstock back in 69 and was suggesting that the original movie was edited yes. through rose-tinted spectacles. And that maybe it wasn't all quite peace and love after all. yes um in which i I found quite sad but you know Mm. i i I can kind of see when we saw a little bit of footage here and there that hadn't been shown from 69 maybe that point was made in 99 clearly chaos and confusion reigned from the start as you say and just like in 69 again as you mentioned the facilities were basic or very basic and those attending were treated purely as i guess cash cows Yes. yes again 4 dollars for a bottle of water in scorching heat disgraceful and they were expected to survive in this massive tented area with uh, you know almost no bathroom facilities but I want to ask you about the anger Jules I mean mm. there's footage right on the first day of people chucking stuff at Carson Daly of MTV and mm. the chucking stuff gets more intense as the weekend unravels um, you mentioned when Limp Biscuit perform and the, the moronic Fred Durst um, encourages more mayhem I've never seen a crowd behave in such a way collectively but why is it and what can be done? Because I don't think much has changed 20 odd years later. Why are white young gish men so angry and destructive? Is it Lord of the Fly syndrome or is it something more subtle than that?
2: It's it's strange, isn't it? Although I had to say I agreed. I agreed with the journalists in that they say, Yes, Fre- Fred Durst was moronic and yes, mm. sh- you know, shouting at people. Uh, li- they have a song that's literally called "Break Stuff." You know, it's yeah. it's it's it's, it's you know, th- it was it was irresponsible the way he behaved. Having said that. The, the journalist raised the question: What was it that the organisers were expecting? They were they were marketing very squarely at these uh, uh, these sort of angry young men. Mm. They booked him to do that, you know. They, they they should have had stuff in place to deal with the impact of that. You know, you can't you can't unleash the tiger and then complains that it bites people. You know, you the, the organisers <laughs> completely failed in their duty to. They they let a genie out of the bottle that they couldn't control, frankly. In terms of why white men are so angry, it was interesting that when you contrast that to what Jules said, that you know, no one really had anything to be angry about because, you know, the nineties was mm. such a favorable time for those people growing up. She's I think she was right about that and it was a very clear point. But I thought that the film made a really interesting point, that the enlightened views of Kurt Cobain sort of performing in dresses and and you know the, the bands of that that Pearl Jam and the bands of that era speaking out in a very enlightened ways ways that dissipated very quickly when Kurt Cobain who was a real figurehead for that movement passed away and it was amazing how quickly the pendulum swung back to this kind of frat rock and this kind of you know the the idea that people can literally do what they want and why is it that when you tell white men that they can do what they want or or any memory they can do what they want uh, you know the last bit of the film deals with the sadness of the of of the women being uh, being Mm -hmm. abused then a huge preponderance of sexual assaults the poor chap that dies due to um due to Dehydration. That bit was heartbreaking, and I, I. i It seems to be that, and this is not not all hashtag not all men hashtag not all white mm. men. But I, oh, it never ceases to amaze me that any step forward for right. It feels sometimes any step forward for rights of somebody that isn't a white man. They take it so personally. They mm. take it as an attack. It's like me having more rights, and you know the same rights as you. Please that doesn't mean i am taking rights away from you and that is perhaps a that's a that's a mm. sort of a that that's a a, 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 a a sort of an issue all the way across the board i think that's not unique to, to, to you know sort of white men the 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 terrible you know the terribly regressive attitudes that people have to asylum seekers you know giving rights to someone else is not taking rights away from me and i, I think there is a sort of a because you know let's face it uh, white men have uh, you know sort of have had I find the phrase "trek your privilege" to be a bit disingenuous and a bit frustrating sometimes. But you know, they, as John O'Farrell said once, in the lottery of life, if you know, at the beginning of your life, if you scratch off your lottery ticket and it says, you know, white Western man, you've won the lottery from the start, haven't you? Really? It's it's <laughs> it's the world has always been mm. geared. Those are the winners. And as as and, you know, Lucy Words is doing, I think, excellent work in trying to focus on. <laughs> women's stories through history and she was once quoted as saying well the way that we perceive history is that it's it's the winners the quote unquote winners that get their stories told and historically quite more often than not the winners have been dead white guys and that is that is what that is what dominates mm-hmm. and i find that really difficult to do with even sort of white men that i really like men that i really really like that are friends of mine I find it so frustrating that they're just even sort of nice guys are so defensive and angry when, when, you know, are very quick to flip into that. If, you know, you say, well, look, you know, can you talk to your mates and tell them not to assault people like me in nightclub queues? You know, "Can, can you have these conversations? And there's just this kind of, oh, you're a feminazi and, you know, you're you're ruining my fun. It's like. A, I'm not ruining your fun. And B, if that is your fun, that is wrong. You know, you, mm. you you cannot behave like that. It's not right. And and why are you doing this? And I just, like you say, there was this, there's always been this kind of anger amongst groups of men. And I thought it was really, they, the film was really good on, on explaining the riot mentality and the idea that, that you know, this mosh pit of... A very overheated you know slightly angry people becomes this kind of big this whole single being rather than individual people and you find yourself swept up in this kind of mentality I, I saw part of it and this sounds you know, perhaps aggressive but I do think that part of it is a kind of you know the groups of men together there's this kind of I'd like to think of it as collective testosterone. It kind of mm. becomes this sort of this 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 huge kind of riot. But I I find it really difficult, and I I, I hate the fact that um that you know speaking as, as as a woman and a gay woman, it all it feels like one step forward, two steps back. To to quote the excellent Fyr by Letigre, I just I find it so. Mm. depressing that when, whenever the you know whenever the pendulum swung one way with grunge and riot girl and that sort of now parallels over here with Britpop over here the early parts of Britpop were really interesting and you still had the riot girl movement and you know you have voices like Peter Harvey and you, you started off with you know with with early suede saying interesting things about androgyny and, and, and yet Britpop then became you know Mm. people you know but lads with their tops off chanting and loaded magazine and it kind of and it feels like the pendulum swings in a slightly un- enlightened direction and then it has to swing all the way back to the very worst of of you know of, of people's based instincts i i find it so frustrating mm. i really do
1: no i totally understand uh very much with you on that now woodstock 99 i think we certainly do recommend it woodstock 99 yeah. peace love and rage was released in america on July 23rd on HBO and it's going to be released worldwide including the UK in the very near future.
2: Yeah and I would recommend you see it and I think I'd like to end on what sorry to not say this previously but there's one particular quote that Mm. just about sums up the difference although as you you so rightly say the film does suggest that Woodstock 69 wasn't quite how it's painted Mm. but there's a the peace wall gets pushed over on the the Sunday morning and they find a woman in the crowd who says and I wrote this down Mm. um, just sums it up i know people spent time on the peace war but this is a trademark of woodstock 1999 and that just about sums it up i know this is wrong i'm gonna do it anyway
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. coming right up uh the stones and the pistols they're worlds apart that's next after pink pantheress Shit, I
0: had to clear my head. but i think i lost the plot instead i said that I'd I know they listen to me The teachers always call it a shame They say I don't have passion They say As I did a few years before They don't see the light there anymore They call it sad But they're the outside in. It's
2: It's 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 very blissed out, and I think it fits in. I think this whole podcast is is probably going to be themed around sort of anger in the front yeah. of anger I think and the idea that that what might seem to be quite blissed out what's hippie can also be quite sad at the same time and if you mm. listen to the music of this tune it's you know incredibly sort of blissed out almost sort of house you know and yet the words are really sad you know the way where they mm. go and her you know having to move out of where she is it's really sad but I think this is a a brilliant tune I I love this I I was I, the apple music do that if you like this you'll like this type thing and i've been listening to lots of grimes this week and it pointed me towards the direction of pink Panthers, who i hadn't heard of which is embarrassing as apparently mm. she's been going vinyl, viral several times over the last year which you know finger on the pulse is always on this podcast but um but yeah i i listened to this and i thought it was just great i thought i thought it had a real thing about it and even if it is a little bit of a sad banger which i would describe my theory of the sad banger later on but mm. i i i found this very striking i liked it a lot that was um pink panther and passion
1: that's a clear example of how the old ways of touring or fancy demos to mm. get noticed go right out the window and yes. on social media and in, and in this case tiktok at the um forefront mm. can just produce hits seemingly in minutes
2: Absolutely, you it's, it's you you, you you wa and it makes you wonder. and I think we've talked about this previously, and I think the the example of Lily Allen's success on MySpace, mm. yes, MySpace did did put Lily Allen forward. Having said that, she was already signed to a label that was that was yeah. putting the stuff on MySpace. So you do wonder with the TikTok stuff. To what extent is this individual? Is this genuinely, you know, sort of organic? And to what extent is this major labels playing TikTok? I don't know, but um, yes. but yeah, it's interesting, like you say.
1: Back in the mid uh, 1970s, when Malcolm McLaren crowbarred the Sex Pistols mm. into the media, it felt like an enormous gulf and absolute eons of time between them and the Rolling Stones. But now, decades on, it feels like there's just a sliver, a wafer uh, between <laughs> them. Um, and <laughs> um, the dribbin, the, the, the Stones... Um, nearly 60 years in music, the Pistols, let's think, 45. Mm. It's a sort of blink of an eye between them. But what a contrast there is between them in terms of band cordiality. It can't be the U2 Coldplay, cold play, um, everybody mm. shares the royalties thing, because Jagger and Richards don't do that in the, in, in the Stones. Yet they seem to always be in a united collective. I mean, there have been blips between Mick and Keith, but they seem to make mm. up pretty quickly. The Stones are planning to restart their No Filter tour later this year. Uh, They just seem to keep going. The Sex Pistols were together for little over a year in reality, but no matter what other routes they take individually, they keep being drawn back into each other's lives, whether for money-making farewell tours or, as at the moment, all of the others or their estates fighting John Lydon in court. jules why are the why are the sex pistols constantly at war while the rolling stones just keep on and on and on
2: it's interesting isn't it it's it's uh, may, uh, who knows? May, maybe the Rolling Stones are better at knowing which side their bread is buttered. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, I thought this the, the, this piece in the um, this piece by James Hall in the t- I think it was the Telegraph. Telegraph. I yeah. thought yeah, I thought this was really interesting. There's some uh, uh, it focuses on the style of music that they make, and I think in terms of the Sex Pistols, that's not a bad jumping off point. In that the the, music, the Sex Pistols are probably if you if you were saying well who are the most punk bands and they're the first name off everyone's list lips and they were just constant aggro weren't they the music is constant aggro yes, if you're making that so. kind of music I suppose it's chicken and egg are you making that kind of music because you are an aggro person or does or does making that kind of music turn you into an aggro person I, th- I suspect as always my, my as the phrase will say on my grave it's a little from column A and a little from column B I think I think the, the things feed off each other but there's some particularly good um, so this all focuses around the core case where, uh, where you've got Jones and hook. It's, it's, you know, so wanting this, this mu- wanting to use the Sex Pistols' music in this in this series for, that Danny Boyle is making, and Johnny Rotten say uh, John Lydon say no, no, he doesn't want that. And they they said uh, they this says here the the Pistols were angry, arrogant, and aggressive, vicious and rotten by name and nature. Their disenchantment with the elite and the establishment was rooted in a sense of betrayal. It's perhaps no wonder then that one of their numbers against a glossy TV version of their history directed by an Oscar Wimmer co-written by the man who wrote. Strictly ballroom and funded by a Disney and American streaming company. Now you could say, you know, why is why is Rotten against this? there's one argument saying, oh well maybe Rotten is, is true to the to the punk ideals. The, the, the counter to that is that Rotten made most of the money from the Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. And as is often the case, the rhythm section are often hung out to try, aren't they? You know, yes. and and maybe apparently it's said here that, that Jones and Cook were the only people in the band that really got on with each other. They, nobody got on with anyone, anyone else apart from them. I think ridden sections are often tied together, I think, because you're literally keeping the show on the road, aren't you? The drums and the bass. Mm. And and for little thanks, it has to be said, you're not out. The, you're, you're not the singer out the front and you're not the creative genius on guitar. You're literally the people that are plodding along trying to the hold the, sh- the whole show together. And that, I was investigating recently a band called Savages who I was very, very fond of an all female band Mm. who are on hiatus hiatus, and have been on hiatus since 2017, I think. And I was last night thinking, you know, where are they? What's going on? And I hadn't realized they'd officially officially got on a break. Jenny Beth is everywhere at the moment. She's done an album with with, um, Bobby Gillespie from the from Prime Scream. And interestingly, of all the members of the band, when I'd seen them live a couple of times, the, the, the bass and drum, the rhythm section seemed to be the ones that were keeping everything going and there seems to be quite a lot of tension between the guitarist and the singer, but the rhythm section were just sort of pl- keeping on. And of all the side projects, the bass player and the drummer are the only people that are playing together in a separate mm. side project. So often it is the case mm. that the rhythm section band together. I mean, it doesn't altogether surprise me that, that you know, maybe the fallings out all these things come down to creative control and money, I think. And it's not hugely surprising that the rhythm section who probably haven't made that much money out of the Sex Pistols are happy to make more money. And it's all very well for, for, for you know, for John Lydon to say it, that wants to stick to their original ideals. But equally, he's made quite a lot of money. And this is the man after all that was appearing in Butter adverts and on mm. I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. So I don't quite buy that he's sticking to their ideals. The interesting thing about the Rolling Stones is, and I think that the figure that is perhaps get, should get the most credit for for holding them together is um is charlie watts on the drums i Mm. think that he he does a lot of a lot of work i think even accidentally to hold them together the eldest and the sort of slightly more steadying influence i think you've got a band that's got a steadying influence in it somewhere that can that can say a lot particularly as he's there to curb the excesses of of jagger and and richards and i think there was a lovely story who knows if this is true or not maybe it's Mm. an urban legend but there's an excellent story of jagger and 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 co partying somewhere in a hotel room and him drunkenly ringing up and saying they've got to get go go and get charlie watts go and get my drummer
0: no charlie
2: watts dresses in a three-piece suit turns up punches Mick Jags to the floor and says, actually you're my singer and then leaves. So <laughs> so and I do think that maybe if you've got that figure that that is able to to sort of hold it mm. to go and to stop to stop the, you know, the the glamour half of the band, because I do think bands operate in two halves. Sometimes it's a bit different. Sometimes, you know, that the the drummers are more a more sort of forthright. I remember reading a, a, a an interview with a band that I love very much, electro Lane, an all-female band, in Wire magazine, and this would have been two thousand and four, two thousand and five. And the the, the journalist interviewing them made a point of saying that the drummer Emma Gates was much more vocal than drummers were usually. She was sort of one of the the main people that were talking in the interview, and usually you would expect the singer and the, the guitarist to be sort of the, the 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 loud ones. So maybe it's it's to do with in band dynamics who you have in the band how those how those figures work and also the ethos of the band as well that you know the rolling stones were not a punk band their, their their mission was not i want to destroy passers-by maybe that maybe that made them easier to hold it together i, I don't know but yeah I, I do think it's very telling that you know it's it's easy to, to claim that you're you're maintaining punk ideals when you've already made your money
1: yes i suppose one major difference is that the stones Uh, key figures grew up together with a shared passion for music and the blues and when Ronnie Wood came in he was already a familiar figure to them a sort of soulmate whereas the Sex Pistols were a contrived almost cartoon-like conglomerate with a whiny shouter instead of a singer and the point being that they were thrown together by McLaren and, to a degree, Bernie Rhodes. And then when they ditched probably their most able musician in Glenn Matlock, yes. they replaced him with someone even more hapless
0: Absolutely. and musically
1: inept than John Lydon with the moronic um, Sid Vicious. It's it's a curiosity to try and figure out why some bands, and I mentioned Coldplay and you 2 earlier, why some seem to stick together so easily and comfortably, whilst others mm. like... Say, Oasis, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, the Sex Pistols, all from different generations, are eternally drawn together by fans, um, sort of in a sort of theoretical sense, and the media, yet are constantly blown apart by the personalities in Mm. in the group.
2: I think that's really interesting. And I think the fact that um I think growing up together or certainly being all together at a formative point of your development, Coldplay were all at university together, mm. um Radiohead, another band that have been together with no right lineup changes yeah. for, you know, th- over 30 years. They were all at school together. I think there's yeah. something to do with there's something to do with having a bond at a fairly young or formative age. That carries you through. I mean, you too. Look at you too. They've not been, they were at school together and they've, they've not had any lineup changes. Yeah. I th- I think, I think the younger that you get together or the, the earlier on that you get together, the more likely you are to stay together unless someone develops a serious problem. And that's usually drug related, isn't it? So I'm thinking mm. of, of Top of Heaven being asked to leave the clash. I'm thinking of, um, the the brief period where um where um Andy actually the Smiths the bass player had a developed problem with heroin and oh, and, yeah. and and but then what did come back but uh, although that was again it, it's not it's not hard to find stories that do not present Morrissey in an excellent light and um mm-hmm. and he apparently he the, the, the so you know, the bass player arrived at his um arrived at his um at his car to see a little um a little note on the uh, on the windscreen that just said, you have left the Smiths. This is mm. Andy book. Um, <laughs> so sure. so you uh, you just you know, it's it's mm. it's often that's the thing. That's the thing that kind of um, that sort of a, that, that that seems to be the only problem. That's an outside factor. But if you can if you can end up with a um, if you can end up with a um, with a with a band, a band that have been together from fairly early on that's going to keep it together i think that's that's Mm. if you can if you could if you've all been forged in the same sort of place like you say the problem with the sex pistols came because they were just sort of people that that came together to form a band didn't they really and then they Mm. then they slung someone out and brought a new person in i i'm I'm not convinced that changing a band's dynamics ever ever fosters harmony in the long run
1: if unlike me you want to see the rolling stones churn out their hits of uh, misogyny and racial stereotyping tickets go on sale this week for their dates in autumn 2021
2: absolutely and have it having sit like you said earlier on watching the film of woodstock 99 made me glad i wasn't there mm. um the rolling stones performance at glastonbury a few years ago as i wrote at the time on facebook we when this one under thank god i didn't spend 200 quid to yes. stand in a muddy uncomfortable field in rain listening to this it was not um it was not great
1: next up how much do we really know about amy winehouse that's right after Poco.
4: back in the 60s when we were all hippies with patched up jeans and long long hair somebody started a crazy rumor they were pretty sure they read somewhere
1: Uh, tongue-in-cheek despair by Rusty Young after a lifetime of being asked if he was Neil Young's brother, uh, which as we <laughs> heard there he definitely is not. Uh, from the <laughs> 2013 album All Fired Up, Poco and Neil Young Not My Brother. Not,
2: not to be confused with uh, with the toborone shaped, uh, an ill-fated <laughs> music player of the same name. I don't
1: know if anyone else feels the same way as me or has the same response as me, but I always feel an overwhelming sense of sadness whenever I think of Amy Winehouse and indeed when I hear her music. And this is underlined even more when footage of her is shown in her teen years and early career when we see this bouncy, charismatic figure with a happy smile and an extraordinary voice. And then that's followed by the incredibly sad sight of her stumbling through life in her last years yeah. with teeth, teeth missing, a sort of bedraggled look and plasters and bandages covering her injection sites on her body. Um, the story of her short life seems to have been told several times, but this month, The BBC has shown Reclaiming Amy, an attempt by her mother and father to, in their views, put right the wrongs and establish the truth of Amy's life. Jules, you watched Reclaiming Amy. Do we finally have the ultimate truth of her life?
2: I'm not sure if I'm not sure if there's if if there's ever going to be any truth really. Uh, by truth, I mean so so the film was made as a response to uh, Asif Capadia's uh, 2015 documentary Amy, which is just uh, just a, an intense watch. Put it frankly, Amy Winehouse has always been very special to me. I, I didn't know her personally, but she is. Uh, just under a year older than me, so so for me and female friends of a similar mm. age to me, she's always felt like ours. You know, she was mm. she she was one of us. I had the the great pleasure of seeing her performing. I think it was two thousand and five. She played in my in my university students union um, at the LCR at Norwich, and I had her first album, which was Frank, and I thought it was great. And so did my housemate, and so me and him got to get to, went along to see her. And this was, as I always put it, pre beehive. This was pre, kind of, you know, this was this was pre, all of that kind of, I suppose, circus really is the best way to describe it. But um, it was uh, to say that I'd seen her perform. I'm still really proud of that. I I never saw the full perform, which I can't believe, given that they played within half a mile of my house. So I will always be sad about that. But I will always have the fact that I saw Amy Winehouse. She was just. Well, I I listened to to Back to Black the other week, uh, sort of to, to mark the anniversary, and it's such a phenomenal album, it really is. And and she was an incredible lyricist and just an incredible talent. And it was like she had too much talent to contain within her body. It's like it was spilling out everywhere. She couldn't quite deal with with. Where she, where, where she was on that, um, I thought this film, like you say, was was incredibly sad. It might well be that, that, when I when I say I think that the third film might uncover the truth. I say mm. that because there was clearly uh, clearly, uh, um, Asif Kapadia wanted to tell a story, and I know that all filmmaking, you and all TV making, you have a narrative that you want mm. to tell, a story that you want to tell. So he he told the story that he felt was the story. But then balanced against that, I'm glad that the parents made this film, put their side of it, but there is always an argument that documentaries are quite a good way of overviewing things because are the people that were involved in a story ever significantly removed enough in order to tell that story accurately? So maybe the truth is, is somewhere in between and maybe that's just not obtainable, I don't know. It Like you say, the sadness in A.B. Winehouse's story comes because it, just that the way that the joy kind of drains out of what is going on is 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 always sad and and there is always again a, a, a tweeter i can't remember who it was now but a woman of a similar age to me but my, my friend at similar age to me it was a big amy winehouse and sent me this tweet and it's just a woman this was a few years ago a woman saying i wonder if there will ever be a time in my life where we can be in the pub and someone mention amy winehouse and i don't leave the room crying it's mm. it's just i still remember where i was when when i when i got a text saying that she passed away and and i think she is you know if you are a woman of a similar age and, and you were a fan there is it is a part of you i just feel that amy winehouse is a part of me so but then having said that i would as painful as it is to to watch films like this I like the fact that they do show the joy however sad it is to to see that 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 left I would hate the idea that she's just portrayed as this kind of tragic sort of star that died because I really want the side of her that was joyous the side of her that was kind the side of her that was that loved life and was and was so so passionate and and just so talented I do want that story to be told as well and I thought that as sad as reclaiming amy and as sad as as, as the other film were there there was at least something in them that you know i i won't is it ever possible to celebrate someone when there's been such a sad and horrible ending i don't know but i wanted to, us to try and do that because she was an incredible talent there wasn't and mm. it wasn't really anyone like her and i remember watching i remember you know doing a, one of those sort of youtube benders with a friend of mine where you show each other kind oh, of yeah. clips you go oh yeah have you seen this have you seen that and i remember showing him the unforgettable performance on Jules Holland's Hootenanny of uh, Jules Holland's orchestra and Paul Weller and Amy mm. Winehouse doing oh, her yeah. to the Great It's one of my most watched ever clips. And it's, it's that later period of Amy Winehouse where she sort of wobbles up to the microphone. And you think, oh, no. <laughs> and then she starts singing and just flattens the room. She's just incredible. I remember showing it to this male friend of mine who at the time, and this would have been late 2000s, early 2010s, he was a bit sort of maddened by the by the kind of the collection of of tasteful female singer songwriters the sort of the melua generation for want to a better world although <laughs> i do although i do think adi Melly was talented that's not a snark at her but this kind of you know this sort of tastefulness and he and, and all these female singers that were being marketed perhaps in her slipstream as well and and my friend just said looked at me and said actually for once a soul singer with soul and i think that absolutely sums up amy winehouse she was the real deal and ultimately that was what you know t- took her on a path which she couldn't get back from you know you can debate all over the show to what extent you know the people around were world weren't help weren't helpful but it's you know I-, I i i don't want to stop talking about amy winehouse as difficult as it is because she was incredible and and to some extent you know i i want that and this is not a criticism of you personally but when we when we talk about sort of Mm. how sad it is and 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 you know and and there is this kind of narrative of oh poor amy she she undid Mm. herself and i don't sense this in you but in some people Mm. i sense that there is a slight moral censor censorship because she was a woman i don't know if i'm i'm reading too much Mm. into that just being a bit sensitive but this kind of the, the the behavior in women that gets hurt, and, and and I don't think you'll like the feel you'll like this, but there are lots of men on the mm. journalists I think that are like this. The behavior that that would that is criticized in Amy Winehouse is seen as rock and roll in people like the Rolling Stones, isn't it? You know, mm. ours, you know, it's, it's, mm. it's only rock and yeah, roll, you know, drugs yeah. and, and booze, and you know, good for them. And when Amy started behaving in a way that was clearly very damaged, but was also very chaotic, and perhaps you would say that kind of rock and roll hallmark. You know, we 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 see that as being very sad, and we see that as as being damaged. Rather than, but we don't see the Rolling Stones, and we don't see Primal Scream, we don't see those rock bands as behaving mm. in a damaged way, even though they very clearly were. Again, I think the 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 the, the only exception to that was Kurt Cobain, I think. But mm. then he was coming from a place that was more enlightened, as we discussed earlier on. So I don't know. It's it's. Mm it's not an easy watch the amy winehouse stuff but equally i'm i'm glad that we find i, I want us to try and find the joy in the fact that we had amy you know I, i'm pleased that i was on the same planet as amy winehouse mm. for you know for 27 years what an amazing thing you know i i I want to and that's not to take away from the sadness of what happened to her but I, you know i'm i'm glad that these doc that this documentary came along because it gave a more nuanced picture and i think that's probably nearer to the truth than you know poor old sad tragic amy
1: Amy's mother Janice came out of this film very well, I thought. An extremely likable person who seemed to never want anything but the best for her daughter. And her pride in her achievements was very touching. Mitch Winehouse came across well in this film too, but he can't escape the notion that he rather wanted to share Amy's limelight. Just
0: a little bit too much, a little bit too eagerly.
1: But and the point about um, you know because of, a, of a, she's a woman, actually I you know I feel sad uh, for her and for her family. But the bit that I, I want to w fo- we'd we want to mm. focus on, it was not covered at all in this documentary, and perhaps it was too painful mm. or considered irrelevant, or perhaps legal issues, I don't know. Where was the... Yes. It's the significant role of the idiotic Blake Fielder civil mm. in the demise or demise of Amy Winehouse. And I don't think any movie, book, or documentary can be described as giving the full picture
2: yes, true. without
1: a fair analysis of Fielder Sybil's responsibilities in the, if we can say it, the downfall uh, of Amy Winehouse. And that's who I would focus my attention on, not on, um, you know, whether she was, how much her responsibility was for her own life, which of course there is an element of. But um, as I say, I, I, I don't think it's anything to do with being a woman. I think it's to do with them coming across this moronic Lakefield of civil that actually was the catalyst to what happened later.
2: Um, yes, it's, it, although again I could push back on that and say, oh, do we always have to tell women's stories by using men? But then having said that, well, in
1: this case I think we do yes, because of yeah, his because, I- extraordinary it was, yeah.
2: influence. Yes. yes, and that that is that is right. Um, I uh, yeah, like you said, the, the other intro, the only point I want to sort of li- li- put in there, and I thought that Janice came across in this brilliantly. Mm. Was I hadn't realised until watching this because it always felt like like you know it was Mitch that was in the in the limelight and mm-hmm. and you know he was there and she was sort of taking a bit of a back step. I didn't realize that she had that she had m s so badly, and yeah, actually, when you learn that that you know that's the reason why she sort of you know she couldn't be as forthright as she otherwise might have been, you do realize that for all that Amy Winehouse was described as self destructive there were a lot of there were a lot of there were a lot of weather conditions at play in that weren't there there were a lot of factors that led to the situation that there was and you know, for all that, yes, I did feel that 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 Mitch, you know, was sharing her limelight. As Grace Dent put it before Amy Winehouse died, why do I get the impression that every time there's an Amy Winehouse crisis, I picture Mitch Winehouse uh, slapping on cologne, ready to go and meet the press? <laughs> having said that, you know, there was and, and it was absolutely spot on. Having said that. Maybe he had to be there because Janice was not well enough to be. You know, it's there there are lots of things, lots of things that happen, and in that sense, you perhaps do get to get a a better picture from the people that were involved, even if it isn't objective. Because why would why would someone that why would Asif know that when he made his film? You know, I thought it was it, it, it shed more. We learnt more from it to answer your initial question. I think
1: reclaiming Amy. It's available on the BBC iPlayer until June 2022. Mm -hmm. thanks very much for listening this
2: week yes as always i very Mm -hmm. much support my esteemed colleagues conclusion on this we're very glad to have you along and jules now that you're you're you're, um double jabbed it's even
1: (laughs) safer for us to listen to you on the radio
2: absolutely you know now you, you can you can lick the screen to your heart's content now knowing that you're 80 percent less likely to catch something etc yes i'm double jabbed and ready to rock by which i mean i fell asleep in a copy of cold comfort Farm earlier on this week so yeah obviously making making the most of my newly newly semi-invincible status um yeah i'll be doing my smooth sailing show again that is something that i do on mixler mixer.com forward slash juliet hyphen harris or searching my name on the site i go live 7 to 9 p.m. on Sunday evenings everything's available on the show reel if you miss it on Mixler and I just play a load of tunes that are calming yet also uplifting I try and play stuff that's as smooth as possible just to try and find a way through this time really that's why I started doing this show and that's what I'm going to keep doing all the time we're in this time and who knows how long that will be
1: to play us out uh, back to Amy and a track really related to her tu- her turmoil
2: Absolutely, and 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 I think this sums up well the idea that we can acknowledge Amy, Winehouse term, Amy Winehouse's turmoil while still enjoying her music, which had a lot of joy in it. And I feel this is a, a joyful song musically. And I alluded this earlier on the idea of the sad banger, the idea that, that you've got this tune that is so uplifting and yet the lyrics are really difficult and and really and tell a really sad story. We had that with the, the Pink Panthers track early on. I seem to be into the sad banger at the moment. It seems to be where, I feel that's where my mood is. I feel That's where mm. the mood of the nation is. The ultimate sad banger being A Band of Gold by Frida Payne. You play it, uh, you know, I used to play it out and everyone gets on the dance floor to kind of, you know, sort of dance along and, uh, and that night night on our honeymoon we slept in separate rooms I mean it's not a happy story <laughs> no. it's not it's not a cheery song and yet it's a party floor filler and you know you could say this about you know why do they always play the one I love by R.E.M. at weddings when it's actually a song <laughs> about you know a simple prop to occupy my time about the one that they left behind I I, I find it fascinating that you can have these multiple factors at play in the same song and uh and and I think this song I know that unfortunately rehab has become the unfortunate the unfortunate epitaph for Amy Winehouse but I feel that this song is how I want to remember Amy Winehouse which is joyful in its kind of cartwheeling and yet acknowledging the, the troubles of her life but yet saying my tear my tears dry on my own on their own you know the fact that she is just it's about resilience as well and i'm i will never stop being sorry that she didn't come through what she went through but i would like to remember her by this and also this is part of my ongoing theory slash fight with the world that track seven is the best track on albums i will <laughs> we might revisit this in, in i've had this rouse so many times with people but anyway this is track seven from back to black uh this is amy winehouse and tears dry on their own
3: oh a darn step we know and this regret i got Stunted. Once was the ride when we were at our height. Waiting for you in the hotel at night. I knew I had him at my match, but every moment we get snatched. I don't know why I got so attached. It's my responsibility, to you do own nothing to me but to walk away. I have no capacity. He walked. I stress the man, when there's so many real things at hand, we could have never had it all, we had to hit a wall, so this is never inevitable withdraw even if I stop one of you, that perspective for is true, I'll be some next man's other woman, so I can't break myself again, she yeah. should just be my own bed. The song Sing no regrets, no most of no day. Cause as we kiss goodbye, the sun sets So we are history, the shadow covers me The sky above the place, lonely lovers see He walks away, the sun goes